say it, don't stuff it, and say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. Today, you're going to get to hear from Trisha Nelson. She's going to share why 98% of all diets fail, how you can determine if you're an emotional eater, and dive into the hidden causes of emotional eating and how to heal them. Let's get rolling. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast. Today I have on guest Trisha Nelson. She has lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She has spent nearly 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Trisha is an emo- emotional eating expert and author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She's also the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show. She is a highly regarded speaker and coach, and she has been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLA, KTLA Fox, and Discovery Health. So welcome to the show, Trisha. Thank you. So happy to be here. Well, tell us your journey. So obviously, you're an emotional eating expert, which piques my interest. I don't know that I know many emotional eating experts. So <laughs> so how did your journey lead you to start Heal Your Hunger? Tell us your story. Absolutely. You know, I think it started way back when, <laughs> when I was a really little kid, and I just had an absolute love affair with food. And I loved food. I obsessed about food. I, whenever there was sugar, my hand was in the sugar, in the cookie jar, the sugar bowl, whatever. And so food was a big highlight for me. And I didn't think anything of it for a while until I started gaining weight. And then, you know, at puberty, I started gaining weight and I gained a lot of weight. And by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight. And I had this roll on my tummy that I would imagine cutting off. You know how you can cut off the fat off the side of a steak, you know? And so I'm thinking, <laughs> I think it was just fat after all. I should be able to slice it off. <laughs> Thank God I didn't try that. But I was just, you know, really plagued with this obsession session with my weight once I started gaining weight and feeling really bad about myself. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll join the army and be forced to go through boot camp because I hated the exercise, or maybe I'll get some disease where I automatically lose weight. So some pretty out there thoughts. And this is after I had tried lots of things. So I, of course, like everybody started dieting. I did diets. I joined gyms, did exercise programs. And I like to say pills, potions, and lotions. You know, if there's a quick fix out there, you know, advertised, I'd be checking it out, trying it. And nothing I tried worked. And I even started going deeper. I went to 12-step programs. I read self-help books. I even went to an eating disorders therapist for a year, twice a week. So I I was not wow. a slouch. Yeah, I was really yeah. trying to get to the bottom of this. Everything I tried, you know, I mean, things worked for a time. I could lose weight, but I always put it back on. And I'm one of these people who had like five different sizes of 
jeans in my closet because I never knew what size I was going to be. I was a yo-yoer. So I'd be up 20, down 10, up 30, down five, you know, and I was always holding out for those skinny jeans I was hoping to get back to, but it was just a constant struggle. And so that was my life. And what happened for me at some point, I just thought, here I am on this dieting roller coaster ride. I'm always unhappy with my weight. You know, I look at pictures. I know what weight I was at every photo I see from the past. And I know how I felt about my body at the time. I thought, I can't keep living this way, but I had exhausted so many things. And it was at that time that I thought I've got to do something drastically different. And by the grace of God, Stephanie, at that time, I was, I met somebody or was introduced to somebody who had a different solution for me. And I started mentoring with this person and he showed me how to really go deeper and deal with the underlying causes, you know, like food and weight were just a symptom and I've got to go deeper. And that's what I did. And I started dealing with the underlying causes, changing my life. And it changed everything for me. And I've been blessed to be in a thin body for over 30 years now and help thousands of women who have had that same struggle. And it, I take the mystery out of it for them. Heal Your Hunger is really about a very specific and proven system to end emotional eating because that was really what I was. I was an emotional eater and I was totally overlooking that. So you went deeper. And is that what you then walk your clients through? Like going deeper. Okay. Absolutely. Because it's not about the food. You know, it seems like it's about the food when you're in the food, but you know, it's really a symptom of something much deeper. And that's where I go with people and I, and and I take the mystery out of it. So it's not like, you know, and it's never one thing people are like, well, was it the time that, you know, my dad left, you know, for six weeks, or was it the time that my aunt Sally died? You know, it's like, we're always looking for that one thing, but it's not just one thing. It's really a web of things. And I really unravel that and tangle that web for people. I want to talk about that web, but let's first define what an emotional eater or food addict is. So who of the listeners, maybe they know if they fall into that category, but maybe if some of us don't know for sure if we're in that category, can you help us define that and recognize if if we land there? Totally. Because a lot of people don't, they're like, does it mean I'm eating Ben and Jerry's and crying? Like what is emotional eating? (laughs) So, (laughs) so it's, it's a lot of different things. There are a lot of myths around it. People think that if they're not a binger, they're not an emotional eater. That's not necessarily true. That's a myth. Some people can eat three squares a day and still be an emotional eater. If their squares you know, tend toward pastas and potatoes and starchy, carby foods, if they always have to have dessert with their meal, you know, if there's a real a dependence on the heavier carby foods, that can be for emotional reasons. Emotional eating is essentially burying your emotions with food consciously or unconsciously. And now that people are listening, they might become more conscious, you know, but so much of the time, like me, people think, oh, I just like food. That's what I thought for a long time until I started to really notice that, wow, first of all, like I'd go to lunch with friends and they'd order like a sandwich and it would come with fries. And I'd eat their sandwich and pick up their fries. I would always eat my fries and pick up my sandwich. (laughs) And then I'd be like, how could anybody leave a French fry on their plate? You know? And so like I was the carby, greasy foods. I wanted those. I was very emotionally connected to those things. Sugar, I was very connected to. I couldn't stop. So emotional eating also comes with a pattern of uh, not being able to hold back, not being able to stop, not being able to say no. It's like, I got to have dessert. And then it kind of triggers me. And, and late at night, if my mind is racing and I've got a lot of worries, I go down to the kitchen and I have a bowl 
bowl of cereal and then I have some cinnamon toast and then I dig into the cookies. You know, it's like it, it one thing leads to another. So it's definitely um, somebody who's losing control. And I do have a, a quiz on my website that can help people determine if they're an emotional eater or a food addict or somewhere in between, because it's really a spectrum. And I believe, Stephanie, that we're all connected to food in an emotional way. way. I believe God made us that way. You know, it's like if we didn't somehow have an emotional connection with food, we might just blow off eating, you know, and so, and we need to subsist. So, you know, that emotional connection, I think we all can go there. Like, it's like, we want comfort food. We want to eat pastries, want to eat donuts, you know, or if something bad happens, we want to bury ourselves in pasta and butter. You know, it's, it's a normal thing. We're losing control. And when we're doing it in spite of really negative consequences, that's where the addictive nature of it starts to come in. And that is one of the, you know, some of the telltale signs of addiction is first of all, are you able to stop? Are you able to moderate? If not, that's a trouble sign. Are you somebody who does it in spite of mounting consequences like diabetes or your doctor tells you you're you're pre-diabetic, but you'd gone for the ice cream anyway. Like so many of my clients are like, they come to me and they're like, God, Trish, I know better, but I do it anyway. And it drives them nuts because they're studying health. They're trying to get to the bottom of it. They study health. They might even be a health, become a health coach or they're like, they're so intent on figuring it out. So they have a lot of head knowledge, but it doesn't change what they end up doing when they're face-to-face with a piece of cake. That's really frustrating for people. It's really this quiz that's on my website, which is healyourhunger.com. If you go to healyourhunger.com, you'll see the quiz. It's free. It's like three minutes to take the quiz, but you'll find out where you are on that spectrum. Um, And like you literally get a personalized score and that spectrum is really qualified by two things. One is a level of control that you have. Okay. So somebody on the low end of the spectrum, Hey, they might, you know, go on vacation, eat too much junk food, drink too much wine. They've gained five pounds. They come back and they're like jogging extra miles every single day and cutting out sugar. That's somebody with a lot of control. Okay. Yeah. They, they let loose, but they course corrected. Whereas somebody on the high end, you know, once they let loose, they can't course correct. It just turns into this terrible rabbit hole they fall into. And six weeks later, they've gained 15 pounds, you know, or the pandemic happens, some big emotional upheaval happens and they've just lost it. I have so many people tell me, oh my God, I was doing good until the pandemic hit. That big emotional avalanche happens and they just, they lose it. Like they lose it and they can't get back to quote, doing good. And the other thing that really determines where somebody is on that spectrum is the number of consequences they have. Is it affecting how they feel about themselves, which it's hard not to when you're gaining 15 pounds in a six weeks period of time, you feel crappy. Are you like having trouble getting off the couch and getting out and getting fresh air? Are you depressed? Are you feeling like you want to hide out? Do you keep your video off when you're on Zoom calls, you know, or do you cancel appointments with friends because you don't want them to see how much weight you've gained during the pandemic? You know, these are things that are consequences, heart disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, autoimmune issues. I mean, you see all these things, you know, and so much of them are definitely either affected or completely created by our diet. And so we've got to take a look at that, but that's, you know, emotional eating tends to be one of the hidden causes that people are overlooking when they are struggling with health issues and when they're struggling with weight issues. You know, it's like, again, they know what to eat. Their doctor prescribes them a really good, healthy diet, 
but they're going off the rails anyway. And that's because of emotional eating. Let's talk about that. Maybe you just answered the question I was going to ask, but I was going to ask, why do 98% of all diets fail? A lot of my patients, they come and they say, I've done everything. I've done everything. And then I have to say, okay, well, tell me what everything is. Tell me what all you've tried. But why do, why do diets fail? Well, it's because they're focused on the symptom of weight. They're just treating the symptom, but the, you know, overweight is a symptom of overeating and overeating is a symptom of what's eating me. And if we don't mm, look, yeah, if we don't look there, you know, we'll lose the weight. But then what happens is we weren't born. I was not born 50 pounds overweight. You know, I ate my way to 50 pounds overweight. I snacked my way. I nibbled my way. I late night binged my way to 50 pounds overweight. So it really, you know, just applying a diet will fail or an exercise program will fail if I don't look at how did I get there in the first place? Like what was going on? What was I stuffing? You know, why was I compelled to eat every time it was quiet in the house or every time something upsetting happened with my spouse? That's really where we need to start looking. Also, our stress level. I mean, you know, and I'm sure you teach time and time again, you know, that when your cortisol levels are high, you're going to hold on to weight, you know, and you're going to have struggles, you're going to have cravings, the whole thing. And so let's look at that stress. And, you know, my experience is overeaters are overdoers. So we're always overdoing. We're always putting too much on our plate, so to speak. We're, we're saying yes to everything. Every time somebody asks us to do something, we're jumping right in to be the good sport, but it comes with a high price. And that is that we're stressed out and we are gaining weight on account of it. We're using food for energy, quick energy, you know, and we have bad habits and we're not slowing down. So all of this has to be looked at, you know, so the idea that a diet can fix any of that is silly. Like it's a, it's a systemic issue. And if you just change what you eat and you don't change your stress level, you don't change, you know, your priorities, you don't make yourself a priority. If you're trying to be superwoman without the fuel, the excess fuel of, you know, sugars and carbs, you're going to give up. You're going to be like, this is too hard. I mean, people tell me a time and time again, I was doing great. You know, we all get that high when we're losing weight, like it feels great. You look good. People are coming and you're like, wow, I got this, you know, but like two weeks later, it's like we're slogging through it and it's so hard, you know, and it's hard because we're not changing how we live. We changed how we eat. We didn't change how we live and the stress level. We go back to the food because it's like, I can't carry on this way. I want to dive a little deeper here. So I want to get into what causes emotional eating and kind of binge eating behaviors. And you've already alluded to stress, right? That stress could be one trigger. And I know you can't just give us one answer because it's different based on the person. But can you give us maybe some examples of what you found totally. with some clients that so, you've worked with? Like what absolutely. their causes were? So maybe the listeners can identify with some of that. Well, here's yeah. the good news. The good news is I've never met an emotional eater that doesn't have at least a dozen of the 24 personality traits of an emotional eater. And I call this the anatomy of the emotional eater. And it's literally in my research, 24 personality traits that we all have in varying degrees or at least a dozen of them. Okay. So, so I'll tell you that that's all in your, all in your yep, book. That's all in my book. So, so okay. I'll give you the top three. Okay. So absolute number one trait of an emotional eater is people pleasing. 
Because as emotional eaters, you know, we tend to have trauma in our past. We tend to have maybe a rocky childhood where there was mental illness, some addiction or alcoholism or some kind of dysfunction. That tends to be kind of why we turn to food. It was as a kid, you don't have, a, you can't go score drugs. You know, you're going to use the thing closest to you to anesthetize your pain. And we use food as a painkiller. We use food actually as three things. I'll go to this and then I'll get back to the people pleasing. We use food. I call it the pep test. The first P stands for painkiller. So we use food as a form of painkiller. When we have pain, when we have a mother who's alcoholic, when we have a dad who's a rager, you know, we're in pain or, or a parent who's critical or a priest who's doing things they shouldn't be doing with us. You know, it's like, oh my God, life is so painful. I need to take refuge in like really get out of this pain. So numb the pain and food is, does that. That's why we like carbs. That's why we like sugar. The heavier, hotter foods are going to bury the pain. So we use food as a form of painkiller. Maybe, you know, it's a relationship that doesn't work or a job that we're unhappy in. I mean, there's so many reasons why people are eating, but it has to do with numbing out pain. The E in PEP, the E in PEP stands for escape. And we use food as a form of escape because sometimes our reality is just really scary. I'd say March of 2020, our reality got scary really fast. You know, when we had lockdown, when we realized, wow, you could literally walk out the door and die. You know, like that is a reality nobody wanted to be present for. And so everybody was checking out with food. I mean, I had friends calling me who always completely didn't relate to being an emotional eater, calling me and saying, Trisha, I can't stop eating. You know, we're at home, we're quarantined with food and we're scared. That was a big reaction as people were numbing out with food. So food is a great escape. It, it takes us away from our fears and our worries. Oh, I saw that a lot last year too. So I, I've had patients come in who I haven't seen in a year and they literally have gained 30 or 40, yes. some even 50 pounds. Yes. I mean, I, I've, through my, you know, last decade of practice, I've never seen so many individuals gain so much weight over a course of time. And they're all coming in kind of saying the same thing. So I think that was, that's a good example. They, at least I think a lot of these individuals after listening to you, right, were escaping last year. So I like that you're putting that together. Okay, sorry. Next slide. Yeah. <laughs> no, the last P in PEP stands for punishment. And we don't think of this as a little counterintuitive because we think of food as a reward. But the truth is we care, you know, overeaters are like we're deep feelers, so we feel deeply, we're kind of like a walking pincushion where everything kind of hurts. We feel very sensitive to feeling guilty, feeling like we said the wrong thing, feeling like we did the wrong thing, replaying conversations in our minds because we have very busy minds. This is also a trait of an emotional eater is having a racing mind. You know, what did she mean by that? Or I shouldn't have done that. Or I should have done this better. Or why did I say that? You know, it's like we're constantly replaying conversations in our heads and feeling really bad or we're going over situations when we're a kid or situation as parents, you know, we're beating the crap out of ourselves because of our parenting style or, or, you know, things that we did or said to our kids. So we're really sensitive to guilt. And then there's no better way than just gorging ourselves on food, gaining weight. It's like a, it's like this built-in punishment. Yeah. It feels good in the moment as an escape. It works as a, as a painkiller and an escape, but then it's got this built-in whooping stick, you know, where it beats us. Like, and we literally abuse ourselves with food. And so that people are, might not think of I'm eating to hurt myself, but if you think about a binge gone bad, you know, the next day when you're feeling sick and your pants don't fit and you cancel, you know, a lunch date with girlfriends, it's because you've just beat the crap out of your body with food, you know, and what's that about? That's not nice behavior. That's not good treatment. That's not self-love. 
that's where I, we have to go deeper. We can't just smack, you know, like, like slap on a diet. We've got to start looking at what am I doing to myself and why am I doing this to myself? And that's really the deeper conversation that we have with heal your hunger. So back to the people pleasing. So, I mean, basically pain, fear, and guilt, just to recap, the PEP test will reveal the three primary emotions, which are pain, fear, and guilt. These are the three drivers, but how do we get into pain? How do we get into fear and, and, and what causes guilt? And a lot of it is the way we're living. And I often say, Stephanie, that it's really not an eating problem, but a living problem. You know, and again, we can't just look at the eating. We've got to look at how we're living. So people pleasing for emotional eaters who had troubled childhoods, we didn't get a strong sense of ourselves as a kid. I had sexual abuse as a young kid. And it's like, I didn't get a strong sense of self-esteem. I just didn't get it. Not to blame anyone. I just didn't have it. So I looked for it outside of myself. And this is very typical for emotional eaters is that we want validation from the outside. We want the added girls. You know, we want somebody to tell us we're good and we're valid. We want to be validated. It comes with price, you know? So we say yes to everything. We're taking on all the extra projects at work. You know, we're doing our kids' homework so they can shine. You know, it's like we're doing so many things that we really don't have the the bandwidth for, but we're doing this in hopes of feeling like we're good people. Like I so wanted to feel like I was a good person because I thought I was so bad. You know, it's terrible. My self-talk was so negative. Like you're stupid, you're lazy, you're bad, you're worthless. You know, you don't know, you're not smart. I mean, I had so many negative thoughts, you know? So I was always just running myself ragged, trying to prove my worth, But what happens when you're people pleasing all the time is, first of all, you do run yourself ragged, you exhaust your adrenals, you know, trying to be all things to all people. But then the kicker is they're never as pleased as you expect them to be, right? People are like an offhanded, oh, thanks, you know, and you're like, thanks. Like I just pulled an all nighter to get that project done, you know, like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Thanks, you know? And so we don't get what we're looking to get from that. And I always say it's the perfect prescription for the, I deserve it binge, like screw them. They're not going to appreciate me. I'm going to get my goodies on my way home from work and sit in front of my favorite TV show and reward myself. And that's how it happens. We're tired. We don't have the energy to cook a healthy meal. And we're just disgruntled because all that work didn't pay off. So this is, to me, a perfect example of why it's a living problem, not an eating problem, and why just trying to follow a diet isn't going to solve the problem. Because if you're still doing this stuff, you know, you're still setting yourself up for unhealthy behaviors with food. So two of the other traits of the emotional eater, one is I I alluded to earlier is having a racing mind. So as emotional eaters, we like overeaters are overthinkers. We think everything to death, you know, and we're always thinking about what other people think of us as if we can really control that, right? So, but we're always obsessed with what people think of us, you know, and that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. It's none of our stinking business, you know, but that's where we hang out trying to like think everything to death. And it does get heavy. It gets heavy and exhausting. And food so much of the time is a result of stress. Like we are stress eating and we're also looking for that quick energy because we're just exhausted. But so much of the exhaustion is self-created. And that's really what I want to drive home here is that, you know, we're not victims of our cravings. Yes, I am a sugar addict. If I eat sugar, 
all I want to do is eat sugar. <laughs> okay. And I have to be careful of with carbs. Cause if I eat carbs, you know, processed carbs, that's all I want to eat. So I have to be careful of that stuff. But the thing is beyond the physical, you know, maybe hormonal issues that might be causing cravings beyond that it's emotional. Like my cravings are emotional and they're created by me. And that's not to blame myself. It's to say, wow, if I created them, I can change my behavior. So I stop creating them. So much of the time we think we're just like victims of this, like we're besieged with this desire for chocolate. And we're like, I'm in a trance. I must eat chocolate. But if we realize if we kind of unpack it and we're like, wow, those chocolate cravings are coming from the fact that I'm tired. I'm not doing proper self-care. You know, I'm trying to be all things to all people. And I'm just, you know, I'm out of juice. That's where we have to go. That's where we have to start making real changes in our lives. Otherwise we'll just be face-to-face with chocolate and chocolate's going to win. You might already know that insulin resistance can lead to weight gain, but did you know that it also is one of the leading causes of death for its role in diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's? Diet changes are essential when it comes to combating insulin resistance, but additional nutrients can also help. The one I recommend the most? Berberine. Berberine is a plant extract that has been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine for over 2,500 years. In addition to its long history, modern clinical trials have demonstrated that berberine supports cardiovascular health in a number of important synergistic ways. These include helping you maintain blood pressure, support healthy heart contraction and rhythm, and support healthy cholesterol and glucose levels. Our berberine support product also contains alpha-lipoic acid, or ALA, which has been shown to support blood sugar balance and is also a powerful antioxidant that scavenges free radicals. It's wonderful for maintaining healthy blood vessel and circulatory health. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily, or especially if you eat more than normal or indulge over the holidays or a birthday, where it should help reduce blood sugar spikes. Check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash berberine hyphen support. To get 10% off berberine support, use code berberine at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. Wow, so much. I wish I could summarize everything you just said. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, <laughs> let me just summarize. I actually want to give you two, two of the 24 personal traits. I gave you people pleasing and erasing mind. So I, I'll give you the third one. And this is perhaps one that people might not think of, but I did allude to it also regarding people pleasing is that we're afraid of expressing ourselves. So emotional eaters tend to eat what they should be saying. So we stuff, we, instead of saying it, we stuff it. You stuff it. Sure. Right. It works. And again, it stems from people pleasing. We don't want anybody to be unhappy with us or mad at us. So we just say, oh, you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. You know, I'm, we don't say how we're really feeling, you know, which is an acronym for effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, by the way, <laughs> fine. I'm fine. Never yeah, heard that so, one. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is that we have to learn to express ourselves. And in my programs, I teach people literally 10 secrets to expressing yourself with confidence, because if you keep stuffing what you need to say, you know, if you don't tell your spouse how you really feel or what you really need, you know, and you're just going to keep hating on them, that is not a solution. It's just going to cause more eating. So again, another living problem that we have to work through instead of just focusing on the food. So say it, don't stuff it and say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. So problem is when we stuff it for so long, and then we finally say something, 
something, it comes like we fire hose people and we end up, it comes out angry and rageful. And so there's a better way that's not going to help, you know, but there's a way to process your emotions and to just in a very kind, loving way, say how you really feel. And it's going to improve your relationships, but it's also going to lower your stress and help you stop overeating. So in your programs, is that something you teach, like communication skills? Oh, yeah, yeah. all of <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, we barely, we don't talk a whole lot about food. You know, my experience is, you know, when people, are, you know, are attracted to heal your hunger, if they want help with emotional eating, they know a lot about nutrition. They could probably write a book on it, right? So it's not like, it's not a secret to them that they should be eating more greens, you know, and less carbs. Like that's not, you know, sugar's probably not good for them. So they've got the basics, but how to apply that you know, is the rub. And and that's what I teach people is really the living. Like I teach them how to live differently, how to communicate more effectively, how to like really integrate self-care in their life, how to meditate, pray, do things that are going to like soothe their soul in a healthier way, like nourish them. I also do most of my programs in community with other emotional eaters so that they're relating with other people, you know, and it makes all the difference because everybody thinks they're the only one who's done the crazy things they've done with food. I mean, honestly, it's so funny. They, and, and part in that isolation and that feeling of being different fuels the overeating as well. And so I do it, you know, I have these amazing group calls on zoom, you know, 20 or so women and, oh my gosh, you can just see the relief come over people's faces and the laughter. We have a lot of laughter when we talk about our crazy things that we've done with food and weight and crazy thoughts. And it's so fun. And, and it just isn't, it's, it's so much of a more beautiful and soul filling way to heal. To me, that's the only way to heal. Cause if you just take away food, you, you feel unhappy because you don't have your foods, you feel deprived. If you replace that food, that unhealthy food with connection, with community, you know, with heart to heart conversations and locking arms with other people on the same healing path. It really does feed your soul. And that's really what we're hungry for. Like it's not food we're hungry for. That's how you heal your hunger. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's so good. I think our listeners will really, really appreciate this. I want to ask, you already alluded to a little bit of this also, but I want to ask about like health coaches. So I have a lot of patients who are even health coaches. And like you said, they know a lot about nutrition. So if they're struggling with food and weight themselves, and this is affecting their self-confidence, like what advice do you have for them? Get help. I mean, I actually train health coaches to be emotional eating coaches. And the best ones are the ones who have struggled themselves. Like a lot of people think, how could I help some of the food? And this is part of the imposter syndrome that health coaches have. They're like, oh my God, I'm telling my clients yeah. how to eat and I'm not following my own instructions. You know, my health coaches, I put through my program as a first order business is they literally go through my whole system so they can get personal benefit and up level their own relationship with food. And let's face it, who couldn't up level their relationship with food? Like we all could. So it's, super helpful. They have a personal experience with it, but then, you know, it so deepens their relationship with their clients, especially the emotional eating clients, because emotional eaters are mm -hmm. like, if somebody else hasn't really struggled with it or knows how to speak to their struggles, they'll feel a sense of separation and might not listen as closely or 
really feel connected. And so it just deepens the relationship with the coaching clients when you've come to terms with your own relationship with food in terms of your own emotional eating and you have a solution for it. And you can literally talk about that solution and help your clients through that step-by-step process to heal. And, you know, a lot of health coaches, even if they're not emotional eaters, they're missing that key component because so many clients are emotional eaters. I mean, if this is a rampant problem, you know, anybody who struggles with food and weight chronically, in my experience, is typically an emotional eater. You know, if they've been on several diets, it's because of emotional eating that they keep going back. So there's a gap with health coaches where they're trying to get their client. They like want to shake them and say, no, 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 no. Stop eating that pizza (laughs) at night. Don't do that. If they don't understand the emotional underpinnings, if they don't understand what's like what's really driving that person and they're just focusing on trying to get them to eat right, they're missing a very rich, you know, opportunity to really serve their clients and help their clients get over the finish line, you know, finally reach their goal weight by doing this deeper work and and the deeper self-care. It sounds like that emotional underpinning is really the true root cause of most chronic disease. If a lot of chronic disease is a result of being overweight, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating. So obviously this episode applies to longevity for facts that I just mentioned, yes. right? <laughs> Many times we can get rid of chronic disease if we can lose weight, but how do we lose weight? We have to heel the emotional eating. So you've You've alluded to lots. You've sparked a lot of interest in my mind. I have a lot more questions, but I'll wrap this up today and and encourage that listeners read your book and then check out your products you have available online as well. So I do want to hear about those. But first, let's go back to longevity for a moment. So what would your top longevity tip be? Besides connecting with me so I can, you know, maybe go deeper with you, I would say definitely slow down. Emotional eaters, you know, as I said earlier, overeaters are overdoers and that drive, which really is driven by a fear of being with ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings. 75% of emotional eaters do most of their eating late at night, you know, or from 4 p.m. on is because that's when the busyness of the day settles down. That's when things get quieter and we're just afraid to be with ourselves, you know, and so it's really important. You know, we have to make peace with ourselves in order to heal. We cannot keep running like a hamster on a wheel. We've got to stop, slow down. And I give people tools to do that. So it's not so scary, but that's my number one piece of advice is, you know, slow down and let you catch yourself, let you catch yourself. It's not so big, bad, and scary inside there. There's so much love in there. You're good. And that's the key is to get rid of everything that's not love so that you can feel the love that is there inherently. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Take us back to that quiz you mentioned. So how can listeners connect with you and take your quiz? Yeah. Healyourhunger.com. H-E-L-A-L. Healyourhunger.com. And the quiz will pop up. You can take that quiz. And for anybody who's a health coach, you can also, beyond that, there's a tab on there for health coaches. I offer like an 18-minute training on five things your clients or your patients wish you knew, but they're too afraid to tell you. (laughs) So there's a really powerful training there as well. So that's a great way to start. I also have a podcast, uh, which you've been a guest on. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, the Heal Your Hunger show. And so I have over 300 episodes and we talk about these underlying causes all the time. I'm really, and I I get very personal on there about my own, my own journey. So definitely check that out. One more thing. I hear you have a quit sugar challenge. So tell the audience about that. Oh my goodness. It's so much fun. It's a five day challenge 
where you quit sugar together with hundreds of other people who are just sick and tired of being sick and tired. So sugar is the most addictive substance out there. And if you've quit sugar before and you've gone back to it, it's time to get support and to do it with other people. So I teach about really what's going on with sugar and how it's affecting your body. We talk about uh, the hidden sugars that are in the foods that even the ones that you think are healthy. And we, we do a lot of sle- sleuthing work. So I call it sweet sleuthing where everybody goes to their cupboards and they, they sleuth out the hidden sugars and post about it. We have prizes each day. We also talk about sweet swaps. So I give you recipes um, where you can swap out sugar um, and use healthier substitutes like stevia and monk fruit. And so people are posting recipes. So it's just really fun, super inexpensive, just like less than 20 bucks. And it's just a great way to finally kick sugar and to do it in community with others and to really start to understand why you sabotage and go back to it. So we cover it, you know, soup to nuts, so to speak in five days. And lastly, social media, where can we find you on social media? Instagram, I'm Trisha Nelson underscore. I also have on Facebook a group where people can join and get support. It's called The Secret Sauce to End Emotional Eating. And you just type that into Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and enlightening our audience about the importance of emotional eating and what we can do about it. So thank you for your program and what you offer clients. (laughs) Yeah, great to be here. And thanks for all your amazing work, Stephanie. Thank you. I really feel like I had an aha moment after listening to that interview. Emotional eating is truly at the root of so many chronic diseases that stem from being overweight. This information can help so many of my patients and listeners. So if you've been a yo-yo dieter, if you're a people pleaser who has used food to escape, please check out HealYourHunger.com and take her quiz. And if you want to join her next challenge supported by a community of women also interested in healing their hunger, be sure to check out her next Quit Sugar Challenge, which is actually starting next month, this October. Watch for my emails on this and use the link in the show notes to register. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.